Only thing unplugged is Forgotten Seasons. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Forgotten Seasons. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. Today, we got a juicy one for you, chopping it up about the 2004 Lakers with Jelani McCoy and Josiah Johnson. Jelani was an eight-year pro, a member of the 2002 Lakers squad, so he's got a great perspective on this year, having been inside of the locker room with Shaq, Kobe, and Phil just a few years prior. Josiah, if you're on Twitter, you know who he is. The king of NBA Twitter. In 2004, he was a junior on the UCLA basketball team in the heart of Los Angeles, taking all of the drama in. We're going to be diving deep, giving you, telling you everything about this 2004 Lakers squad, the last year of the Shaq and Kobe duo, and the year that their relationship just really explodes publicly. We got Gary Payton and Carl Malone coming into the fold. I think what people forget about this year is that when the team was healthy, they were really, really good. We see and hear a lot of parallels today between that 2004 team and this year's 2022 Lakers squad, but the reality is they were very different. Yes, they had veterans, but this 2004 team, 56 wins, two seed in the West, knocked out the defending champ Spurs. And made it all the way to the finals where they did lose to the best five alive Pistons squad, one of my favorite teams. A reminder to rate and review the podcast. It really helps. Forgotten Seasons with Jelani McCoy and Josiah Johnson on the 2004 Lakers begins right now. How's it going, fellas? Doing good. How you doing today? I can't complain. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited about this combo. We got Jelani. Uh, not too many people that played on the Lakers in the early 2000s. You're one of them. Josiah, staple of NBA Twitter and Lakers Twitter. And in 2004, at this time, you were a junior at UCLA. As always, one team, one season. 2004 Lakers today. We've talked offline. Soap opera of a season. Uh, when I got into the research and I, I knew that Josiah was coming on, I, I started thinking like, man, it's a shame that Twitter was not around in 2004 for this team. And it had yeah. me thinking like, Josiah, can you think of any other teams, not just in basketball history, but in sports history that predate Twitter that would have been more fun to commentate and tweet about? I mean, I think, you know, Showtime Lakers era definitely has to be mentioned as well because the shit they were getting off in the 80s, you know, you talk about yeah. the Forum Club and everything that was going on up there. Just the stories I would, you know, my dad was obviously playing for the Clippers at that time, but just the things he would, you know, going to Magic's parties, which were the stuff of legend. And obviously, you know, you kind of saw the ramifications of, of some of those things that were going on. But yeah, it was a different time, but I was a junior in college at that point. So I was trying to be a square. I think uh, Ben Howland had just taken over at UCLA mm. and uh, Ben didn't really fuck with me. So I would have not been on Twitter at this point. <laughs> you know, I would have been operating in the shadows, DMs, burner account, you know, pre-KD type shit. I think uh, your boy Gilbert Arenas' Wizards seems like coincide with the beginning of Twitter. But if that was a little bit later, I can't imagine like what, what, what that would have been going on. Like to go back to the 2004 Lakers, I don't think that we can really tell this story beginning in 2003. I think we have to go back a few years. Jelani, you being with the team in 2002, I think that's sort of when the Kobe Shaq beef, mm -hmm. quote unquote, started. If you remember in 2000, when they won their first championship, Kobe's still a kid. I think it's clearly Shaq's team. Uh, but then 2001-02, that's when Kobe really starts to become the Mamba. He becomes the alpha and it's really 1A and 1B. 
I'm curious just to hear from you having been inside that locker room with, with both of them in 2002. Uh, what do you have to say about their relationship then? And, and what did you notice being in those practices in the locker room at games? I mean, it was bubbling. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, at, it, at, its, at its height of everything, but it was bubbling. You could see the small things to happen around the locker room, uh, uh, you know, on the road, you know what I mean? When you're out eating, you can see the division happening in, uh, with the team because you got to go with big fella who's, you know what I mean, obviously the face of the Lakers at the time, you know what I mean? He's probably one of the biggest faces in the league, but you got this other, you got Kobe over here who's, you know, coming into his own has already been through so much, failing in the playoffs against Utah, winning a couple of championships, being, you know what I mean, being 1B at some times when on any other team, he would have been 1A the whole time. So Shaq is, you know, it's fun. It's, he's, he's, he's a lighthearted, but he's a, he's a big dude. He's a big personality. And big dudes don't play that shit. You know what I mean? You can't come in shooting up all the balls and taking the ball to commercials and, you know, time away from the big guys, especially, you know, Shaq was big off the court too. He's larger than life. So I think it, it, it was bubbling. You know, Phil was doing what Phil does, playing with people's minds and shit. You know <laughs> what I mean? Talking to people through the media. Uh, sending weirdo messages that, you know, obviously, you know, only Phil can do. He's but, writing a book. You know, he's writing a book too in 2004. It comes out the year after. So he's he's chronicling everything that's going on. Yeah, you know, Phil's a little bit of prima donna itself. You know what I mean? With the Bulls, he's already won one. It's a fair share of rings already. So he's got the recipe. Again, he has two of the better players in the NBA, but he didn't have the harmony that he had in Chicago. Los Angeles isn't Chicago, you know, and this is a big city, you know, to be off the court. The fans are very knowledgeable. They'll sweat you at the gas station while you're pumping your gas if you're in a cold streak. So uh, I, I think uh, it was just so happening that it was at the beginning of the grumblings. Kobe was coming into his own and Shaq was beat up, yo. Mm -hmm. Shaq had a hell of a run. His availability as a big player, you know what I mean? Well, he was, a, he played a lot of games until the arthritic toe and, you know, playing long into the playoff season when he didn't want to get in shape. He wanted to use training camp to get in shape. So, you know what I mean? It was, a, it was just a perfect storm at the end of the day. Where Big Phil was at in his career, where Phil was at was theirs. It's obviously the Lakers, you know what I mean? So it's just a big time soap opera at the end of the day. A hundred percent. And we fast forward from 2002 to the 2003 playoffs. This is after the Lakers win the three-peat. Uh, they've won 13 consecutive playoff series in a row, and they get bounced by San Antonio. Soon after that, they call for reinforcements. They bring in a 35-year-old Gary Payton, a 40-year-old Carl Malone. They take massive pay cuts to chase their ring. They're, they're both old and in sort of the final chapter of their career, but still very good uh, NBA players. Both of you, maybe, maybe Josiah to start, like uh, – can you recall when, when that happened, when Peyton and Malone came? And can you remember sort of what the uh, what, what the beat with NBA fans was? Like, were people saying, like, okay, the Lakers are going to get right back on top with these two Hall of Famers? What is, what is the overall vibe? What are people saying at this time? You know, it's crazy to think now and really didn't look at Malone as a 40-year-old back then. Obviously, he had, he had just had a great career with the Jazz. John Stockton just retired. But it was more so Gary Payton, who uh, my dad used to work for the Sonics. So, you know, I had a relationship with him and just knew what he meant to the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, you know, Milwaukee's a great city, but for, for GP, who's used to the Pacific Northwest, Jelani, obviously you play with the Sonics as well, making that shift to Milwaukee really from anywhere is it, a tough move. So when you see LA, the glitz and glamour, and I remember honestly, as a, a kid, uh, my dad had a relationship with Gary. So when Gary, before he got drafted, 
came out to LA. We picked him up from the airport. He came and hung out for a little bit, worked out out here. He's an Oakland guy. So just, you know, the bright lights and coming to Hollywood, you know, it didn't phase him at all. He didn't give a fuck about anything, just to be mm-hmm. real. Like, he was the biggest shit talker I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the outlandish wild shit that even my dad would tell me when him and Kevin Calabra were calling Sonic things back in the day. Oh, coming at George Carl, coming at whoever, it really didn't matter. I'm sure, you know, John, you could, you could wax poetic about all that stuff. But I think, it, it, you know, when you're growing up in L.A., you're seeing the Lakers, it was just, it was, it was championship. You, you see that happen. Oh, we got Malone, we got Gary Payton. This was, you know, pre-social, pre-all those times with analytics and advanced stats and all that type of shit. So you just think, all right, we got these two dudes. They're going to fit in nicely with this squad. Even if not, I would compare it to like that, the Warrior squad when KD came. Yeah. It's just like, all right, we got these, these stars coming in. There, there's nobody that's going to really run our fade. And I think you saw that as this team started off to that high start. But, you know, like Jelani mentioned, I had to go back and even look this up. Uh, you had the situation with Shaq and Kobe. I believe after that first championship, that was the last time that, that Shaq took more shots than Kobe, despite shooting like 8 to 10% better from the field. And that's Kobe's establishing his dominance. Kobe comes here as a high schooler in Philly. He's Jerry Buss's guy. You know, he, he's the dude. He starts to really believe it. Yep. And I think at times, you know, he, it forced him into playing in a situation where he's taking bad shots, but he's trying to be that Jordan type of player. And like Jelani mentioned, you see Shaq, and that's the thing about big man. A lot of people don't understand. Like you got Yao Ming, whose career was ended off a of foot injury. Like when big men get hurt, that shit is magnified. So for somebody like Kobe, who loves game, playing, working out 11, 10 hours, 10, 11 hours a day, to see Shaq, you know, not doing that shit, showing up the training camp to get in shape, he's gonna take that personal. Also, Shaq, as I'm sure Jelani can really get into, taking certain digs and also a likable dude. Growing up in LA, Shaq was visible. Kobe was living in Orange County. Kobe wasn't really around a lot. Like I can recall a few times driving down the 405 and gridiron traffic and you see Shaq in the escalator, Shaq in the, the Mercedes Benz that's got the, you know, the, the customized plate with the Superman logo on it. And you roll up on Shaq, he's on the window down giving you the peace sign. You're at the Fox Hills Mall. I remember the year after Shaq got traded to Miami, came back for the Christmas game. Shaq's at the Fox Hills Mall doing a big Christmas deal. It, it, you know, I think dressed as sand or whatever. That's just not what Kobe's makeup and mentality was. So it was definitely you know, from an LA perspective, Shaq was kind of the guy, obviously mm-hmm. larger than life, seven foot one, walking around the city, everywhere you went, you knew Shaq. And Kobe was kind of, I think, tired of being the sidekick, tired of being in that shadow. But as, as Los Angelinos, when that move happens, you're like, all right, yeah, we're just gonna ride back to the championship ways. Like, you know, the squad obviously faltered against the Spurs, but coming back with GP and Carl Malone and, you know, an older, an older, more, more seasoned Kobe and Shaq, it just seemed like a no brainer that this squad would be hoisting the O'Brien trophy uh, come the end of 2004 season. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Jelani, I want to pivot to you. And Josiah, you mentioned it. Like, I think Shaq wanted to be that guy. He wanted to be the face. He took a lot of pride in saying to the media, I'm the one that brought Gary Payton and Carl Malone here. I was the one that was on the phone with them. He's concerned about sort of being uh, the center of that locker room, the heartbeat of the city. On the other hand, Kobe is that like solitude guy who really just cares about him doing what he has to do to win a championship. Uh, And I think those sort of collision courses like you said, Jelani, it was bubbling in 2002, but this is when yeah. it, it really pops. What, what do you have to say about that? And just like the, the, the differing personalities of Kobe and Shaq. Well, they're, they're polar opposites in their approach. You know, Shaq is more all encompassing, like, like, you know, to, to, to Angelino's point, you know, somebody growing up in Los Angeles, seriously, like the fact that Shaq was accessible that he was like, you can pull up at Shaq and Roscoe's, you know what I mean? If you wanted to take a picture when you saw Shaq, he was going to take that picture with you. You know what I mean? That's just how a big fella is. Anywhere that he goes in, 
he might buy everybody lunch, you know what I mean? He was out in the clubs, you know what I mean? At the when the Century Club was cracking, you know what I mean? Shaq was in there in, his, in, in the Century Club suit getting it in. Kobe was nowhere to be found at the end of the day, you know, after he got beat up and Los Angeles kind of put him in a, in a bubble or a hole or a cave, so to speak, after the Utah series. Uh, when he when he when he failed uh, in front of everybody's eyes, I felt like he retreated to a place where he ended up building a black mamba. And at the same time, Shaq has always been larger than life. He was the man in Orlando. He was the man as soon as he got here in LA. Everybody knew it was championship or bust. Everybody knows the lineage of the Lakers centers, and he was well aware of that when he came here. So um, I just think it was two just polar opposite approaches that couldn't be couldn't be any opposite, but at the, but couldn't be so much right for each other. Like it could, it was so wrong that it was so right. You know what I mean? Because they, they needed each other. They needed, Kobe needed to see Shaq maybe down like that. So he would want to catch up and send his body into in mining the places that nobody goes to. And maybe Shaq, if Shaq doesn't have Kobe, maybe he doesn't chase that ring in Miami. You know what I mean? Maybe Big Fella doesn't ever really try to get in shape during the offseason, you know what I mean? Or go to Miami where he knows Riley is going to hold him accountable, got to keep his body fat. When you go to the heat, you got to keep your body fat down to a certain level, three-hour practices, tape shoot-arounds, the whole nine. He signed up for that. I don't think he signs up for that if Kobe doesn't do what he does to Shaq. You know what I mean? We've all seen the famous interview that they have where they're asking each other this question. Is Kobe, you know, Kobe, he is Shaq, ask Kobe. Uh, if he was mad when he found out that he won the, you know, one more ring and Shaq, you know what I mean? He was like, you know, I was at home pissed throwing shit around. I think when we were around greatness, like even when it gets shady or ugly, I think it only adds to the pot and makes everybody rise to the occasion. It makes you a top, you know, 75, top 50 at the time player. No, it's an interesting way to look at it. Um, and so we mentioned the bubbling and, and right before the, the season that we're focusing on today, I think this is sort of the, the bursting of the bubble. If you guys recall, Kobe gives this famous interview to Jim Gray, who was on all the smoke. He, he recalled it. Yeah. He calls Shaq fat. He calls him lazy. He calls him childlike Kobe. Kobe's of course going through his whole trial. He said that over the summer when, when he was on trial, he was getting support from people like Tiger Woods, teammates, Michael Jordan, even Shaq's uncle, but he didn't hear anything from Shaq the entire summer. And, and this is when sort of it all happens. It's now out in the public. Maybe it was kind yeah. of brushing in the locker room, but now it's on ESPN. It's in the LA times. I mean, maybe Jelani, like you're in the league at this time. Like, what are your peers saying in the league? Like, can people kind of like, did people know this was coming or is this sort of a shock to everybody? I mean, this is like all the fairy tale. It's all out in La La Land, you know what I mean, with Phil Jackson, and, you know, and all the, the multitude of the other storylines that was there. But um, you, you you just you just knew this was coming, you know what I mean? Uh, um, so many different things that happened even during the year I was there that Kobe went through with different teammates, you know, the year previous to before that. I think too, this was coming off when two, uh, Chili Child two-piece them. Reggie Miller scratched him up against, you know what I mean, the scores table. He was going through it, man. He was going through it with teammates were trying to impose their will on, on Kobe. And Kobe was just, you know, taking all of it into account and just going on to a hole and being a recluse and using that, you know what I mean, against people. So, um, like I said, I think sometimes when you're when you're trying to be great, you're around greatness, you, you know, the stakes are high. It's, 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 it's the weirdest of things that, that, that motivate you to, you know what I mean, do the strangest of things that need it to be, you know, three-time champions or, you know, bringing in, 
it wouldn't have even been attractive to Carl Malone and GP to me if there wasn't MVP, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Like uh, they, they wanted to join somewhere. They knew about the LA story. They thought they can help, you know, be a moderator, you know, in between Shaq and Kobe. And I think that's something that they signed on to. And like you said, took less money because they feel like that was something where they could be of value as the moderation in between the Shaq and Kobe side. Hmm. Well, the, the season begins, and despite all this craziness that's going on, they, they're they sort of able to shut people up. They start 18-3. and three. Uh, They beat the Spurs three times in that stretch. But then Carl Malone goes down with a knee injury, and he sort of proves to be, like, the key piece to that team. Uh, he's out for a few months, which is, like, the first injury he had in his career, and, and they really struggle. The, to me, like, Carl Malone is, is – it's frustrating because you look at his resume and he's no doubt like one of the the best players ever but then you hear about the shit that goes on off the court and it's like how do we even uh, approach to talk about this guy Josiah I, I I'm gonna look at you like how do we address the Utah Jazz like how do how do how do we even begin to talk about them do we ignore them do we celebrate them what do we do there I mean, I think when you see what Stockton and Malone were able to do in Utah, especially cities like Utah, which we know traditionally is not cracking. I'm just saying, if you're going <laughs> looking at NBA cities to turn up in, that's not one that you're ever keying in on. But, you know, uh, Stockton retires, Malone comes through. I think the crazy thing about Malone, and obviously doing the research for this, this episode, was I want to say he missed something like 11 or 12 games total up until that point. He never Which, you know, numerous, you know, Ironman, you know, with one or two games a season, if that. And so for him to have to go through the situation at that, that late stage in the career, being in LA, it's just a, a bunch of factors that ultimately, you know, don't seem like a big issues. Then a lot of guys get hurt, miss time, but for him to miss 39 games, I think the squad was like, what, 22 and 17 during that period. The mental of that, being this Iron Man, being the middleman, always delivers Carl Malone, mm -hmm. and now not being able to play, being sidelined, seeing wearing like the, the 5XLT, you know, silk mm -hmm. suits on the sideline and all yep. that good stuff. But also being in LA, where there's so much distraction, so many, so many things going on. Obviously, we know kind of some of Carl Malone's off the court issues that we would find out, you know, in later in 2004, involving you know Vanessa Bryant and situations like that. It's it's an interesting thing, but to know that him and Kobe and Kobe and GP had this relationship was was, was pretty phenomenal. And Kobe kind of looked at these guys as his OGs and kind of stars that he could listen to and respect. And I think that's the one thing about Kobe. You know, if Kobe saw you working hard and knew the type of play you were, he would respect you for that. Some of these younger guys, we hear like the smush jokes and things in, in years later on, but it's just like, you know, and I understand if I'm, my ass is in the gym all this time, putting in all this work mm -hmm. and y'all not in here, like if I'm in here eight hours, you need to be in here 12 because I'm already at a high level and you just kind of showed up to practice going through the, you know, remember like the softest Charmin thing he, he said yeah, later mm -hmm. on in his career when he was, and it, you kind of understand those frustrations. And like Jelani mentioned, He's just a recluse. He's a guy that, that wants to be by himself. I think he was deliberate in, in moving to, to, to Newport because mm -hmm. Newport is not close to L.A. So if you've got to be, you know, that's what I'm saying, if you got to play games and be in L.A. and obviously him famously taking, you know, helicopters and all that stuff, but if you make that choice, that's not a move that I know a lot of. I, I would, I can't, I'm hard-pressed to find another guy who would, who would operate like that. Right. That's, you know, as wild as like, yo, I'm, I'm living in L.A. while playing in Oakland just in terms of the time it would take to get a flight out there or whatever. But kind of making that point. So, yeah, man, so just, just to see the way that whole thing kind of played out with Malone and the mental stigma that he had having to now come back from that 39-game layoff. Because once you get hurt the first time, you start to think in the back of your head. And when you're young, you deal with the shit you can overcome and kind of move on. We've seen guys nowadays mm -hmm. suffer, you know, devastating injuries that are able to come back. KD is one that comes to mind. 
where back in the days, you know, Kobe suffered that same Achilles injury. His career was pretty much effectively done. KD suffered in, and was in the MVP discussion. You know what I mean? Like coming back, you know, a, a big foot away from, uh, you know, leading, leading the Nets to a championship. So for Malone, just that, I think that stigma and having to come back and also being 40 years old at that point, 40. it's like, you know, how much longer 40. am I really going to do this? You know, yeah. you realize, and this is not like a, a 2022 40, this is a 2004 no. 40, which really like being like 45 in this, <laughs> in this time range in terms of the medical advancements and things like that. So him having to sit, watch all that in 39 games, that's a shitload of time. Like you've gone through the training camp, put all that work in now trying to get into to, to season form mid-season, late-season form, and now you basically resetting and trying to start over from scratch. Well, you to, to add to that, you got to think about what Carl Malone added to the triangle offense. Yeah, you know, the center Carl, point. Carl Malone could work the – yeah, he can work at the pinch. He can work on, on the post. You know what I mean? Excellent passer. Was basically playing in a bastardization of the triangle in Utah, if you follow the Utah system, how they used to throw the ball into it or run the splits. That's a lot what you run on strong side in the triangle when the strong side is filled. So – Carl Malone was built for the triangle. Uh, Phil Jackson used to call the triangle a white man's offense, you know what I mean, <laughs> at, at the end of the day. And I feel like Utah ran the same version of white man basketball in, 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 in Utah, you know what I mean? Using John Stockton to come over and free Carl Malone with the dirty ass screens as John with Jeff Stockton Hornacek. used to hit you with Jeff, with Jeff, Jeff Hornacek, Hornacek yeah, and yeah. Mark Harpering and yeah. Ostertag, yeah. And, you know, just these people that are just out there in the way. I felt like that was almost a relief for Carl Malone because he had some other, that's his first time playing with talent like that. GP, Shaquille O'Neal, really it was just him about Jeff Hornacek and John Stockton, maybe a Byron Russell here, but they didn't really have a top-notch talent. And like you guys hit it on the head, to, to be in his bag early at that age and then miss those amount of games in the triangle, having played in the triangle, it messes up everything because the triangle is predicated on everybody reading each other. Josiah, you, you mentioned your relationship with GP and, and him and your pops going way back. This was a frustrating season for him. He voiced his frustration. There was a dynamic between him and Derek Fisher where Fisher was getting more time, but GP was was playing. You you have any insight into that, into his struggling with his struggle to acclimate to the triangle offense after being sort of a ball dominant point guard his whole career? I think, you know, with GP, he's a he's an alpha, right? He's a, he's a intense personality, shit talker, grew up in Oakland. That's just no matter where he's going, he's talking shit. You know, the, the gum with the mouth to the side, you know, yeah. just the, the heavy chew. Like, but just so I think he even mentioned it while he was there. He was he allowed Phil, which I think was probably the first time in his career where a coach, you know, he came in respecting Phil, Phil, the championship level coach, obviously, with everything he did with the, the Bulls dynasty. So he's starting to listen to Phil and not play his game as much and starting to kind of, you know, relent, relinquish some of that control. And even just their relationship with Derek Fisher and Fish who had won three championships. I think this is something Rick Fox had touched on. You got guys that didn't necessarily have the accolades of a guy like a Malone yep. or GP, but we're champions here. We've been we've been here, we've been through the struggles. You know, we were here for all these these great moments in Lakers lore, and we know what, what it takes to play winning basketball. So Derek Fisher now having to relinquish his starting spot to GP, understandable, but if I'm Fish, I'm in the middle of, you know, my contract's about to be up. I'm trying to get my bag and get my shit right. And I'm used to being, you know, kind of, I'm not a Kobe or Shaq, but I'm, I'm in that conversation with these guys. Rick Fox coming off, I think, the foot injury. But he's like, fuck that. I'm trying to be the, you know, I'm trying to be mm -hmm. the fifth beat on this shit. Like, I need to get in the mm -hmm. starting lineup. So guy kind of pressing a little bit. But I think for GP, which he even mentioned, having Malone there really helped make his job a lot easier just in terms of figuring out the triangle, which I know Jelani can speak to. This uh, is not a, a simple offense no. to figure out. It's complicated as fuck. Yeah. So no matter, and, and you're now 35-year-old GP trying to come learn this we complicated. Learn. 
you feel like a rookie again. I mean, yeah. you know, you feel like a little kid out there trying to learn this shit that that's clockwork for these other guys. Like Derek Fisher knows this shit better than me. He, he's going to take that personal to, to an extent, but also being in LA, the glitz and glamour and, you know, being in smaller markets in Seattle, Milwaukee, prior to this playing at Oregon state, he never really felt what that LA situation is. And this is, this is something you just see, you know, LA could fuck around and get Alex Caruso almost in the all-star mm-hmm. game. That's the magnitude that this fan base wields. And like Jelani mentioned, this is pre-social media, but this is a fan base where if you don't deliver, don't produce, you're going to hear about it. Oh, yeah. And the rumblings aren't, you know, as big of a deal back then because you're not, you're not opening up Twitter and just seeing a bunch of people talk shit, but local media is getting into you. And yeah, you, you rolling around town trying to go have a nice meal somewhere. It's a, it's a conversation point mm-hmm. everywhere you go. And people aren't going to hold their tongue in Hollywood. You're dealing with elite level execs, professionals, people who are, you know, like Gary Payton in their different careers. Right. So they're not really phased. And, you know, I mean, I make the joke now even with LeBron. LeBron can show up to Lakers games and motherfuckers in the stands who are way richer than LeBron. They're not, they're not phased by LeBron. He's gonna make it 40 million a year. That's not a lot of money. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? I've been three movies this year. I got 20 million a pop. It's different. I'm it's LeBron. different. It's I'm, different. Not, I mean, I'm not looking at you like, oh, revering you. Like in a Seattle where it's like, you are the main deal yeah. out here, right? You are the show. Like, so it's a tough situation. And GP's game isn't built for the triangle. Coming, I played with GP for three years in Seattle. He was on the ball. We did this, and we yep. played different. The triangle is static basketball. You got to sit, hunker down for a minute, watch, watch him do something, watch him do something, and then go for yours. So um, I think it, it takes time, man. It's humbling. And then to, to add to what you said, like the Rick Foxes, the Derek Fishers, the Devin Georges, they don't always tell your ass how to run the triangle. They're not coming to let you relinquish those minutes, right? So typically when you get there, like they hit you with this shit. Just watch the dude in front of you. That's basically <laughs> the extent. Like is if that I want what to go Phil, talk is, to Rick. Is that what that's Phil what, says? That's what, and the not, not Phil kind of, you might be able to catch Jim Clemens, Tex Winters, you know what I mean, if you have some questions. But Phil lets the players dictate how the information is getting to I want to. I want to go more into Phil because people forget about the real like disdain that specifically he and Kobe had for each other at this time. Yeah. It, it was pretty open. Like, cause he would abandon the triangle. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it happens before probably when you were there too, like yeah. Kobe, there's this whole narrative. Kobe is not a team player. Kobe does not want to play in the triangle offense. He, he wants his own offense. Yeah. Um, it goes so far as yeah. Phil basically going to Jerry bus. Meanwhile, while Phil is dating Jeannie bus keep that in mind and saying you got to yeah. choose but you got to yeah. choose between me or kobe basically uh because phil's up for an extension too nice try. and and jerry says yeah exactly and mitch kupchak says nice try but we're not trading kobe what what is uh i i mean we we forget about that because kobe and phil won the two championships later on in in nine and ten but i mean do you think a guy like phil a coach like phil could succeed in today's nba bashing his play you do uh, I do, I, I, I do because of the ring power, because of the Michael Jordan, because of the Scottie Pippen, because of the Dennis Rodman, because of the 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 Kobe, the Shaq, the Rick Foxes of the world. You know what I mean? It's it's about winning, and if you practicing on win, feel the alter his approach. You know what I mean? Kobe, the year I was there, he he dogged the triangle. He would abandon the triangle a lot, a lot like we seen Michael Jordan do. We know when an alpha male is cooking, we don't need we know if we don't need to run open clothes or blind pig or some of the other calls that we had, you know, in the triangle mm-hmm. where everybody helps to get set up. If he could just come down and cook. I'll tell a quick story one time, which which makes me think into the turmoil. As in I think uh 
before he torched the Mavericks, he torched the Mavericks. So when I was there, he might have had 30 in 2002. Look this up, Dylan. He might have had 30 or 40 and a half. He was killing the Mavericks all by itself. In regular season? In the regular season. And then this is a funny-ass story. They call a timeout. Kobe, Phil sends somebody in for Kobe. The crowd gets a grumble. They're like, oh, he's coming out. He's got like 40 at the half. He probably would have broke that record a lot earlier, you know what I mean, if Phil would have, but Phil pulled him out of the game because he was fucking with the triangle. So Phil, Phil, uh, PJ pulled him out, and I asked PJ, what well, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I was just, I just walked up on PJ. I'm like, uh, oh, man, you should leave him in the game. Man, this man turned and looked at me like I had the biggest pile of shit on top of my head. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, I'm going to go back over here to the end of the bench where you need, if you need, PJ. You know what I mean? But that was that was the thing. He was trying to rein Kobe in and still, you know, appease Shaq. You know, that's what he has to do as a good head coach. But it was definitely coming at a time where Kobe just knew that the triangle, you know what I mean, as much as it was going to help him win championships, he knew when to, you know, abandon the triangle and do the special goat mama shit. I don't know if we've seen today, like, a, a coach really call out their best player in the media publicly. That's why I ask if, if, if somebody like Phil could succeed because he's Tibbs tried. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Doc call out arguably the second best player, you know what I mean, on the squad. Mm-hmm. I, I think, But you just look at the way that whole situation was going on and this was a different time, right? This is not the world we live in now. We're social and everybody's tweeting and we're getting all these different perspectives and all this other type of shit. You know, seeing that Shaq Jim or seeing the Kobe Jim Gray article and these things pop off, I know it, it probably impacts you a lot more in the locker room, but just as we're moving and shaking, this is not, we just don't have the 24 hour news cycle like we do nowadays, right? We don't have, I mean, Sports Center may devote a little bit of time to it. I think we had like Best Damn Sports Show or Fox Sports may devote a little bit of time to it, but it wasn't round the clock coverage. You know, we weren't getting the morning show. And then, you know, back then it was like, you had to listen to radio if you wanted to hear that type of shit. You know, if you was in the car. Now, if I'm at the crib, I'm not just going to fucking turn the radio on and listen to it. So if I'm, if I'm driving somewhere, yeah, I'm going to listen to Jim Rome or, you know, some of these other guys going off about it. But it's just a wild thing to think about because I'm sure Shaq's reading those quotes. And when there's more internal beef, Phil, you know, Phil trying to make that ultimatum. I know deep down Phil probably knows, like, they're not going to pick me over Kobe because I'm not going to go out there and drop 30 at any point. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can find a coach to fucking coach him, but you're not going to lose that talent. And the same thing with Shaq. You know, I think in the preseason, Shaq came at uh, Jerry Buss sideways about getting his bread. Yeah, he said, pay me. So, yeah, he said, pay me. Yeah, pay yeah. me, you know. And, and John Black, the Lakers PR guy, you know, tried to, to play it down, and Jerry Buss tried to act like he wasn't a big deal. But Jerry Buss is an old, rich white man. Like, you know, old, rich white men, in my experience, are generally very sensitive. They don't like to be one up or, or shown out by a player that they're paying to be on their squad. That's just real, real talk. So to see the way Kobe was moving, and that's just how Kobe's moving in LA now. I'm I'm on that MJ level. Like I told you at one point, like one season, I think it was like 02 or 03, maybe Kobe's taking like 23 shots a game. Shaq's taking 18. Now, if I'm Shaq and I'm looking at this and I'm shooting seven, eight percent better from the field than Kobe, you taking five more fucking shots than me. But what can I do? Because you need to give me the rock to score. I'm not bringing the ball up the court initiating the offense. So I'm kind of at your mercy. But I know these are situations. I'm sure even Phil probably having conversations. Kobe like, okay, and then just go do exactly what he wants to do. Because at this point, I'm gonna play your hand. Like I've taken Shaq's bullshit for years now. You know, everybody loves Shaq. Everybody kind of treats me like I'm the pariah, like I'm the outcast. Like, all right, well, wait till I drop 30. The fans are still gonna love me. It's crazy just as all of these moving parts come together, and it's like one big storm, and that goes into the postseason. 
Uh, if we look at Kobe, right, he is a free agent after the season. He's threatening an opt-out. He says, if I leave, it's going to be because of Shaq. Shaq wants his extension. Phil wants his extension. Uh, so here we are in the postseason. Carl Malone comes back at the end of the regular season. They finish 17-5. and five. And what people are saying is that we have no idea what's going to happen. They can win the title or they could get bounced in the first or second round. Um, they beat Houston in the first round. Tough squad with Steve Francis and Yao Ming. Uh, and then we go into the Spurs series and they go down 2-0. Shaq's stepdad is calling out Kobe in the, in, in the media now. He's saying, you know, Kobe would be one of the best players in the world if he learned how to play team basketball. People are writing that the buzzards are circling over the Staples Center. But then the Lakers down 2-0, tied up 2-2, and game five is the Derek Fisher point four shot. And I think that kind of saves... I mean, people talk today that this season was a failure, but realistically, they won 56 games and they made it to the finals. Maybe in Lakers standards and Shaq and Kobe standards, that's a failure, but it's for most other franchises to get into the finals is a successful year. Derek Fisher shot happens. They win game five. They win game six. They go to mini and they win that series. Uh, and now we're in the finals and it's the Lakers versus the Pistons. Um, one of my favorite series ever. The betting lines on this are like, eight to one Laker favorites. You guys remember like anybody giving the Pistons a shot or is it Lakers going to waltz in? Cause they get out of the West that year. Um, they beat the Spurs. They beat KG, the MVP. And now it's like, okay, who, who the fuck's on the Pistons, right? Ben Wallace, Chauncey yeah. Billups. Like, yeah. like what, what are people saying then? In LA? I mean, nah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't give a fuck about the Pistons. No disrespect. I'm a big Tayshawn Prince fan. I'm sure the is high. You know, you know, Kentucky guy. But, you know, guys that you respect and kind of watching how they move through the Eastern Conference. But at this point, we're, you know, we're not thinking that anybody is going to beat the Lakers. Like, they're not going to beat Shaq and Kobe. That's just not realistic. Let's just go out from the East. But you look at their game plan. The shit that, that really trips me out, just, you know, you know, going back down memory lane is, you know, Pistons were holding teams under like 80 points a game. And, 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 and Football they scores. The and it's just like, holy, like, damn, like, you tell me a, a squad with Shaq and Kobe ain't putting up numbers, like, you know, but that was the way the game was played. And I think we've seen a, a shift and uh, less focus on, you know, running running down the shot clock and getting a great play and just kind of moving. And I know a guy like Jelani, you know, would have flourished in a league like today just because fucking that's what his game was predicated on. Fuck all this, like, slow tempo bullshit and defensive grinders. Like, let's get some buckets. All right, get the rebound. Let me be like KD, pull the rock out and fucking run the break and shit. Shit, I see you do at UCLA back in your head there. You know what I mean? But yeah. but it's it's tough looking at those squads thinking like, damn, 70, 80 points. Yeah. And some people love that generation of hoop because they're like basketball purists and defense or whatever. Yeah. My thing is always, I've never seen a game one zero zero. So defense is cool, but I need to see fucking buckets. The game was designed to put the ball in the hole. Like, I want to see yeah, some, some defense at times. But if I can see a guy drop 30, 40, or Kobe drop 50, 60 points, I'm going to be excited about that shit. Man, 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 you hit it right on the head. I think, yeah, we was in L.A., and as Lakers fans, if it wasn't, if we didn't see Thomas, Dumars, Lambeer, mm. Sally on the back of a Pistons jersey, I don't think nobody was really tripping yeah. at the end of the day. And I think that Detroit team took those old bad boys vibes and channeled that shit up, you know what I mean? to be this team that would win 80 to 79, you know what I mean? Because they knew that it would piss the Laker fan base off. They knew it would piss Phil Jackson off, you know what I mean? Carl Malone. Once you start having those names and those names don't start translating into the box score, when you're looking at Tayshawn Prentiss and you're looking at the Chauncey Billups and the Rip Hamilton and the Ben, ben Wallace playing one-on-one -on -one versus Shaq, you know what I mean? And those type of things. Uh, 
I think the Pistons did a good job of channeling their old vibes. But yeah, to Josiah's point, nobody was thinking. We was thinking sweet. Yeah. Low key, you know what I mean? We done knocked off all the best. You know, KG had the year that he had. If Derek Fisher's hitting a point for a shot, like that. I was, that that seemed like to the NBA Finals, you know, just to get to the finals. So the Pistons just, I thought maybe we would have got one just on the strength, but I wasn't nobody thinking the Pistons was taking the series. The reason why I love that Pistons team so much is that pretty much all the 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 best five alive, this was not their like first stop. They had been recycled through teams like Chauncey Billups was on the Celtics, the Raptors. Um, yeah. You had. Ben Wallace, yeah, Timberwolves. Ben Wallace was on the Magic. Sheed was on the Blazers. So this was a, for a lot of them like their second stop. And then on the other side, the Lakers, like they're all the Golden Children, right? Shaq, Kobe, Malone. So I, I love that series, and that is sort of the the straw that ended up breaking the camel's back. The aftermath of that, the Lakers, it, it's 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 you think that they're gonna sweep the Pistons, but it's almost the other way around. It's an embarrassing loss. They lose in five, um, and it's it's not really close. The aftermath of that, Shaq skips his exit interview. Kobe says, you know, uh, I'm going to go test out free agency. There's links to the Grizzlies. There's links to the Clippers. Phil says, you know, basically F all this. I'm done. I'm taking a hiatus. Uh, so with the past like four or five years, you had three championships. And now every main pillar of that team is gone. Uh, or it looks like they all could be gone. What's the vibe in LA like after that when now Shaq, you know, the man that brought them the titles is gone. Uh, Phil's gone. How was how L.A. then? Sad. I mean, just to be real, you go from that, that championship lore, and from outside looking in, you, you kind of hope. Like, And I'm just going to be real. My dad played for the Clippers growing up, so I was kind of in, in Clipperdom at that point. But always had a, you know, we always looked up and envied what the Lakers had going on. So for Kobe to say he's coming to the Clippers, even as Clippers fans, you're like, what? Like, well, you better, uh, like, damn, like, he must really want to be out. If he's saying, come here, like, there's so many other better spots you can go. So I know the Suns, I think we're in the mix, too, at a point. But it's sad because you look back now, and I'm sure those guys probably regret it, too, and it reaches that boiling point internally in the locker room where you feel like, I just can't play with any of these guys anymore, and I hate it here. But then you experience that other side of it. And Shaq obviously won a championship quicker than Kobe did before Kobe went back to back with the Lakers. But now that that experience you had where, you know, the Lakers struggled for the next couple of seasons after that, where it was quote unquote really kind of Kobe's team and Kobe's time to shine. You know, they either didn't make the playoffs for like eight seeds and just just now like moral victories, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. oh you know, we're, we're, we're competing against the Suns, like or whatever. It, it's, a, it's a sad time for LA that demands championships. And this is the one thing, especially with the Lakers, and I'm sure Boston fans feel the same. When you, when you pull these squads out, you expect banners. Like like you mentioned, like any other squad going to the final second, second in the West, you know, 56, 26. That's it's a great shit. year. We're going to be talking about that's not a forgotten season. We're talking about that shit all the time. So yeah. we won the 56 games, man. <laughs> but for this squad, it was just like, ill. this is LA. Like Jack Nichols is not rolling with that. That's not, mm -hmm. it's like, what, what are we talking about here? But just sad, a sad period, obviously losing field too. And just knowing kind of everything that reached his boiling point, reached ahead. And then, like I said, Shaq came back that Christmas and Shaq was more visible. Christmas, you know, coming through, giving gifts, doing whatever, just that kind of feel that he brought back and you kind of miss it. And obviously Shaq and Kobe, you were able to reconcile and work their differences out. But as just somebody who loves basketball and loves Los Angeles, deep down you hope like, man, what if they could just kept that together a couple more years? You know what I mean? They could have won those championships that Kobe brought forward like four or five years later. 
they could have won a couple more. Maybe Shaq would have got his shit together, been a little salty at how, you know, you know, nobody wants to get 4-1 in the finals by the fucking Pistons, a team that didn't have a, a superstar at that point. So you think, oh, I'm going to come back rejuvenated. I might actually show up the training camp in shape and, and be hungry. Or it could go the other way. Like, I oh, fuck this. I'm going to put on 30 pounds and I don't give a shit. So, you know, whatever happened, happened. Obviously, we can't build a, a time machine and go back. But it was it was a sad point in L.A. for those next couple of years, just as, you know, the squad tried to figure things out. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to your point, winning is hard, Dylan. You know, I mean, it's hard on everybody. Once you start winning championship and the talks of championship and bust, you know, that's macroeconomics for everybody. The franchise gets more money. The jersey sales go up. The guy at the end of the bench deal gets a little sweeter because, you know, his, you know he's playing key, uh, key minutes on the championship team. You know, his 12 to 15 minutes a game are a little bit different. You know what I mean? So he has the opportunity to run a bag up on another team or re-sign on a championship team. Plus the time spent together during those runs, playing deep into the playoffs, you know what I mean? Uh, the locker room is a fishbowl, you know what I mean? Everybody knows whose contract situation, whose boo at home is tripping, you know what I mean? Who's, you know what I mean, running around uptown in the streets. Some of us might be fighting over the same chick, you know what I mean, and don't even know it. It's just a hard season. And when you're playing with, with those stakes so high, everything is so much harder. Everybody thinks like it's easy to play with superstars, with Carl Malone and Gary Payton and Shaq and Phil Jackson, and then you mix that and put it in the middle of the Staples Center, it's hard. You know what I mean? It's a lot of people that, you know, never get off that bench. It was hard for me to crack the lineup when I was with the Lakers. Uh, the year the three-feet and I started, you know what I mean, coming off of starting for the Seattle Supersonics and handing the Lakers one of their worst home losses in, in Laker history. And I was over there, like he said, over in the Walker suit. You know what I mean? Just trying to crack minutes, hoping somebody would go down for a couple of games so I could play three to, you know, five, 10 minutes for a three, four game stretch. But everything is so hard. It's so magnified in LA because everybody cares so much and, you know, it's tight of the bus. So, I mean, I think uh, the the ramifications of having superstars and, you know, Kobe uh, translating from Ocho into, you know, into 24, it was just a, you know what I mean? And it's probably one of the greatest stories ever told the Lakers franchise and all the years that, you know what I mean, chasing championships is always going to go down as a 30 for 30, a book of forgotten seasons. You know what I mean? You can go down the line and probably pick, you know, a number of Lakers seasons to have some, some interesting content. For sure. Well, I know we got to go, but uh, again, I, I think I, I, I look back at what uh, Matt Barnes said. He said, about his time in like LA and Orlando, you don't realize how good you have it until it's gone. Um, and I think to what Josiah said, like you get so used to these championships and then it's gone. I mean, there's turmoil. It's obviously not easy, but all those things make it worth it when you, when you come out on top. Um, so anyway, thank you guys for joining. This was a lot of fun. We'll catch Jelani all over show basketball. He's got his fingerprints anywhere. Josiah, anything you want to plug? No, I mean, I'm, I'm plugged out. Everybody knows where to find me. King yeah, Josiah facts. 54. <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram, hoping to do some more things with the Showtime basketball family as well. It's a great family to be a part of. And, you know, I kind of stumbled on your page. I think Eric Newman, who produces all the smoke and was burning, sent me your stuff. I'm just like, oh, this is fucking phenomenal work, man. So it was a pleasure just jumping on with you. Yeah, Dylan, it's been a pleasure, man. Appreciate it. You're doing a good job, young fella. Keep it up. You know what I mean? The sky's the limit. Like you said, the Forgotten Seasons page is amazing. Uh, I know like working and talking with the guys and some of the four former players that you've had on, they really appreciated the time and the research that you put in. And 
I look forward to building across you against all, uh, you know, across all our platforms, bro. Hey, no doubt. Hearing that from you guys is what makes it all worth it. So uh, I'm looking forward to what we got in store. Uh, and again, thanks for hopping on, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. We got a fresh episode coming for you next week. A reminder to rate and review the pod if you are enjoying it. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening again. Catch you next week. See you then.